uh, means uh, to us individually and for us as a body. Uh, and then we'll be having a, a sunrise service at 8 o'clock here. Lord willing, it'll be outside if weather, weather permits. And then we'll be having a, a breakfast immediately following um, as a church family. And then we'll be having our 11 o'clock service, Sunday school and 11 o'clock service. Uh, during that 11 o'clock service, we'll be having our kids. Uh, we'll be joining the adult choir uh, for, for a song, uh, a special on Easter Sunday morning. And then our, our little ones are going to be singing um, a song as well. So it should be just a sweet time in the life of the church. Uh, if you need um, things to pass out to uh, friends and family to invite them, I have stuff in my office, a little flyers that you're welcome to give them. Also on the back table, you'll see an apologetics uh, flyer. Uh, I mentioned this uh, last Sunday, but we, we're having a joint apologetics conference, kind of like an evening of apologetics on April 22nd. So April 22nd from 6 to 9, we'll be, have, we'll be, we'll be partnering with Tigate Baptist. Uh, Fort Mill First, Ratio Christi. Uh, Devin is going to be speaking uh, there and a few other folks and really just trying to think how we can think deeply about the Bible and how can we can relate to our culture. Uh, so one of the talks is going to be on culture. One is going to be on uh, God and science, that they're not really opposed to one another, that science actually helps to prove uh, the divinity or prove um, the, God's existence. And then one's going to be on Islam. How do we engage uh, Islam in our day? So uh, one of the things that we always want to pray for as a people is that we want to think deeply and biblical about all the matters of life. So whether it's who to vote for, uh, whether it's how we engage in Islam, how do we engage with folks on a, on a college campus, we want to think biblical about all these things. So pray that the conference would, would, would serve that, that end. And also just be praying for Devin as he's going to be sharing that week. Well, we're going to open up God's Word tonight, Second Peter uh, chapter 3, uh, we're going to be reading verses 14 to the end of the chapter. And really what you'll, what you'll see tonight, Lord willing, um, is you will be turning on the mic. is a review of the entire book of Second Peter. Uh, you'll see a lot of these similar themes um, all throughout this letter. Well, let's read God's word, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which are the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do pray that when we open your word tonight, that our hearts would be receptive to it. Uh, Father, many of those here have already heard the word once. So, dear God, I pray that you would just enrich this time, that you would anoint my words, that the words that I speak and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in thy sight. Oh, dear God, I pray that you would uh, keep us from the wayward, keep us from the false teachers, that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would take this offering, 
when we humbly submit to your word and that you would magnify yourself, magnify the Savior, uh, and that you would um, magnify our desire in us uh, to worship and serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so uh, this, uh, we're going to be looking at the final words of faith. We've looked at this through the, the entire book, and what Peter is really encouraging through this entire uh, letter is that we would have a, a proper faith in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So just go back and look at chapter 1, verse 2. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Go down and look at verse 8 of chapter 1. It says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you look here at the end of the letter, verse 18 says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The whole entire letter is that we would have the proper knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the final exhortation that Peter's giving, that we would have faith. Now, we know that, as he said in chapter 1, he's about to die. That the Lord had revealed it to him that his time on earth was short. So his letter here should have, have an additional punch to us, because these are probably the last words that the Apostle Peter ever wrote down. The one who walked with the Lord Jesus, saw him on the mountain. The one who, who denied him and then was restored to him on the shore. Je Jesus um, looked at Peter and said, Satan demanded to have you, but I prayed for you, and your faith will not fail. And Peter's faith did not fail. So at the end of his life, when he was about to die, uh, he was going to be crucified. And he said, according to church history, he said, I'm not worthy to die the same way of my Savior. May I be crucified upside down. And, and he was. So this is one man who was faithful unto the end. So we want to look at his final words and encourage our own hearts as we review this entire letter. First, uh, exhortation. The final faithful word of a holy diligence. Holy diligence. We look there in verse 14. It says, therefore... Beloved. Now remember, whenever we see therefore, you have to look at the context. Look back in verse 11, 11 through 13. It's really one, one thought towards the end of the letter. Verse 11 of chapter 3 says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, the earth, what sort of people ought, we, ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This idea that the righteousness dwells, that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth where God's people are going to dwell. I was talking to a pastor friend recently, and he said there's a member in his church who just started thinking about heaven started studying heaven, thinking about what God has prepared, the land where righteousness dwells. And he says, man, this guy is on fire. And he's just he's telling everybody, you've got to talk about heaven more often. Heaven is so great. And this, this expectation that we are going to be in God's presence, that's what it says in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, you're waiting for that day when we will no longer be in a place of bickering. No longer being a place of constant 
fighting. No longer being in a place where we are falling into sin. No longer being in a place where people are disrespectful towards us. No longer being in a place where we see death and cancer. We will be in a place where righteousness dwells. And when we think about that place, this is the, the exhortation that, that Peter gives. He says, when we look about that day, do you notice the best hymns? The best hymns in the history of the church are all those that at the end with this longing and this looking forward to that day. Right? Just, just notice it in the songs that, that you love. Notice that there's something in us that when there's this calling and looking forward to that place, the land where righteousness dwells, that our hearts are lifted and encouraged. That should give us hope. And this is what he says. When we think about that hope that God has prepared for us who believe in faith, by faith, he says, be Diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. This idea of be diligent should be a reminder of what we saw in chapter 1. Uh, remember that Paul or Peter kind of listed all those attributes. Look back with me in chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. It says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue." And with virtue, with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And look at verse 10, chapter 1. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So what he's saying at the end of the letter, he's saying, reminding, when we think about that day's coming, you need to be diligent in your life of faith. You know, we need to give ourselves to grow in godliness. You know, we, we know that the Bible says that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are only saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We are only saved through Christ. Amen and amen. And many people in the early church struggle with Peter's letter here because it sounded, if you, if you misread it, it sounds a lot like works. It sounds like we're, we're saved by, by, by holding fast to Jesus. I was talking to a young man this week who's struggling with the assurance of salvation himself and the assurance of his friends. And I just looked at him. I said, listen, you are not saved because of your ability to hold on to Jesus. You are not saved on your ability to be diligent in the things of God. You are saved because God has grabbed you. And what God has began in you, he will carry to completion. We are not saved on our ability to be holy. We are saved because God is holy and he has called us to be like him. He's actually declared us holy in the Son. He has united us with Christ. That's why we will be in the place where righteousness dwells. We will be with the Lord of glory. It is a beautiful thing. And yet we live in a world that's trying to knock us off, that's trying to, to drag and drift us away. So it says, be diligent. Be diligent. We know we're only saved by grace, but we still have work to do. We still have to get up and, 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 and get after it and pursue the things of God. You know, that's one of the reasons why God gives us a community of faith. God gives us a community of faith so that we can be diligent in the things of God. Because you know that if you are not in um, gathered as God's people, that someone's going to call you and say, where are you? Why are you not pursuing the things of God? So it says, be diligent to be found by him, meaning when Jesus Christ returns, 
without spot or blemish. Now, this, that's a pretty tough calling, isn't it? You know, the Bible says several places to be holy as Christ is holy. 1 Peter chapter 1. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. The calling of the Christian is to live up to what we've already attained. If you are in Christ, you are holy. Period. Now we have to live up to that calling. So we want to kill sin in our life. We don't want to become more and more like the world, but we want to be separate from the world, to be distinct, the people of God. So we, don't, we want to kill the worldly lust in our hearts. So we want to kill all of that's there. So we want to find joy in the simple things. So we want to do dishes for the glory of God. I was laughing at um, one of our small groups this past week. I said, uh, I have two distinct memories of doing dishes. And they're like, you've only done dishes twice in your life. I said, no, but I have two distinct memories of doing dishes. I have one where I was doing dishes to to prove to my wife um, that she was wrong. But I didn't do anything around the house, and we were kind of in an argument, and I was doing dishes, and I was, I was mad, and I picked up a knife, and I sliced my finger. And the, the slice was so bad that I had to go get to the ER for the rest of the night to get stitched up. And I'm sitting in the ER feeling like a buffoon because the only reason I cut myself is because I was mad at my wife in my pride, right? And then I have another memory of me doing dishes. And just for whatever the reason, I was just... Kind of like the song that Angela and and Rich's family just sang. I was just thinking about how blessed I was to be able to do dishes. So I was sitting there doing dishes, and I was just feeling the warmth of the water. I was feeling the the, the texture of of the soap. I was just thinking about the the fact that I even have a dish to clean, and I live in a country that has water from a a faucet, which is – I was just thinking all these great things. I I literally was doing dishes for the glory of God. So what what I'm trying to say is is that – we want to live every moment for the glory of God. We don't want to wash dishes with the attitude to cut ourselves, right? We don't want to live our lives in anger or in bitterness. We want to live every part of our life with joy. We want to have faith in the small things. So when someone cuts us off in traffic, we want to have joy. We want to be, be gracious to that person who just cut us off, right? Or when we accidentally cut somebody off, we want to look at them and, sorry. You know, we want to be gracious. We want to, we want to m- protect our entertainment. We don't want to have the same entertainment practices of the world. We don't want to watch movies that God would, would hate. We don't want to have our hearts fall after those, those things without any spot or blemish. One of my prayers for this church since I became its pastor was that God would give us people in this church to remove the wrinkles and the blemishes of our congregation. Every one of us individually has wrinkles and blemishes. We all have problems, whether it's pride, jealousy, anger, sin, you name it. And yet as a congregation, guess what? We have wrinkles and blemishes. And we want to work those out. We want to give ourselves to this congregation in such a way that we could remove the spots and the blemishes so that we could be a pure and holy body for the Lord of glory. 
Because one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. And as we await his return, we want to be able to offer ourselves to him as pure and spotless. Because what he has done for us, he was the pure spotless lamb who was slain to take away our sins. He was the Passover lamb. And because of what he has done for us, we want to live our lives pure and spotless. So what can we do in our congregation? What can you do to remove the wrinkles and blemishes? Well, I think that the very next thing that Peter says is helpful. It says that we may be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. How different are relationships? How different are communities when there's peace? You, you know, I mean, I, I love my family. My, my, my immediate family, of course, but I love my extended family. Well, we only have about three days together <laughs> before peace is no longer there. And there, there are certain times when you're, when you're with your family and it's just, there's peace. No one's bickering, no one's arguing. There's just a joy there. And what do you, it's kind of like, this is nice. This, this feels right. And there's other times when someone is mad at somebody else and maybe someone says a comment under their breath and they storm off and there's that tension. There's not, there's not that peace there. Well, listen, God's people are called to be at peace. Period. <laughs> we are called to work for peace. Well, why? Well, because we are a people of the God of peace. The God who made peace for us in Christ. Therefore, since we are identified by him, we should be at peace. And you know how hard that is in a congregation full of people who are extremely different? It is not natural. Ah, we're not called to live in the natural, are we? We are supernatural people. We have been born again by the Spirit of God. And the same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, lives in me, and gives us the power as a community to be at peace with one another as we remove the spots and blemishes of our congregation. So the first final word is holy diligence. Holy diligence. The second faithful final word is patient truth. Patient truth. Look at verse 15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. What he's, what he's saying is like there's a people within the community, who are false teachers. They're living in ungodly ways. And he's saying, these people, God is being gracious in delaying his return. Because remember, the argument in Second Peter is that there is no second coming. Everything has been happening the same way from the beginning of our fathers. Jesus Christ is not returning. And, and Peter says, listen, take the fact that the Lord did not come back today as his patience. God wants to bring salvation to those who are in the world. How many of you know someone who does not know Jesus? We all have people in our life who don't know Jesus. Sometimes they're the people that are closest to us. Maybe a, a close friend, a brother, a sister, a mom and a dad, a grandson. They don't know Jesus. And every day the Lord waits. It's God's gift of patience to that person. He gives them one more time to turn. One more day to, to turn around. One more day that they can, they can fall on their knees in repentance and, and experience the salvation of God. 
And I think we need to have the same kind of patience. How many times do we want to write people off and think there's no hope for that person? Well, God has not returned yet. God can bring repentance to that person. He can. He can. He can. And he will in his time. There's patience. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Then he says, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So Paul wrote about the same thing of the Lord's return. Uh, we spent a lot of time in, in 1 Thessalonians, talked often about the, the parousia, the second coming of Christ, and talked about we need to, to stay steadfast until he returns. But every day that the Lord waits is another day of salvation. Uh, we read that in Romans chapter 2, right? It's the kindness of our Lord that brings us to repentance. There's coming a day that we're going to stand before God. The day is fixed, y'all. The day is fixed when God will come back in Christ. The day is fixed. We know that. So it's the time now for everybody to repent, to turn back to Christ, to live a life of peace without spot or blemish. Then look at verse 16. It's very interesting what Peter says here about Paul's letters. It says, as he, Paul, does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now, we don't know exactly which letters Peter was referring to. Uh, it could be um, Colossians, Ephesians, Romans. We don't know exactly which letters Peter is referring to. But at this point, there's probably a Pauline corpus. There's probably a group of letters that are identified by the Apostle Paul as, as those that, that, he, that he wrote. And it says about these letters that Paul wrote, what does it say? There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Can we just have a stop there? You ever read your Bible and say, this is hard to understand? The Apostle Peter just says, some things Paul writes, it takes me a while to get. Okay? Now remember that most of the apostles were uneducated fishermen. Paul was a scholar. Paul was, was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, was, he, was, he, he knew his stuff. He immersed in, in, in the scriptures. And sometimes Peter's saying, sometimes it was hard to understand. Now, even though it was hard to understand, does that, does that mean, okay, I don't have to worry. It's hard to understand. Let somebody else deal with it. Well, no, because look at the next thing he says. It's hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. If you don't know the word of God, people are going to try to twist it with you. It was kind of the idea that Mike said today that, um, you know, I've got I to check that stat. It sounded like a big one, that the most common conversion among college campuses are Baptist to Mormons. You know, when he says that they open the, the Mormon Bible and they teach and it makes sense to, to, to our, our Baptist children who are being raised. Well, why does it make sense to them? Why are they so easily turned? Why are they, the, the, the word of God is being twisted. Well, why? It's because they don't know the Bible. People don't know the scriptures. Because if you know the truth, when someone tells you something that are false, you're going to get it. You're going to say, no, that, that's not true. That's not accord with the scriptures. This is one of the reasons why Devin spends so much time on the college campus. He's trying to equip college students to understand not to be tossed to and fro by all, all, every wind of doctrine. We were talking about that this morning with our, with our children. Uh, we've been going through the book of Ephesians with our kids in, 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 during breakfast and it says very clearly that God gives the church pastors and elders, right, teachers, to, so that you can be equipped the saints for the work of ministry, so that you won't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Do you know that God gives churches pastors? 
He gives you multiple pastors to shepherd you so that you would not uh, be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So what we're doing right now is that you would not be would would understand when people are trying to to twist the word of God. You notice what I said? Twist the word of God. Why would I say that? Look what the text says about Paul's letters. It says Paul's letters. They try to twist Paul's letters as they do the other scripture. Right here, what you see is the, the, the Pauline letters are the Word of God. Okay? That's very important. So when we look at the New Testament, some people will say, well, the Bible is just a, a book that, that, that man created. Well, no. The Old Testament was, 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 was formed over hundreds of years about God's truth through prophecy. Remember back to chapter um, 1. Look at chapter 1 with me very briefly. Uh, verse 20. It says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the doctrine of the inspiration, that we believe the Bible that we read was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was written through men, through their personality, through their, through their time, but it was men who spoke from God. And they're saying Paul was one of those men who spoke from God. So when we read Ephesians and Romans and Colossians and, and Philemon and First and Second Timothy and Titus, we are reading the word of God. God speaking, God breathing his word to us. Just think about that. We have a God that speaks to his people. That's amazing that God would speak to us. So undeserved. Well, he closes, Peter closes his letter with two final words. The first is guarding. Guarding knowledge. So, Paul, Peter's saying throughout this whole letter, you have been given knowledge. The knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is his whole life. Prophesied all the way back from Genesis 3.15, okay, all the way to, 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 to Genesis 12.3. Fast forward to 2 Samuel 7.14. Fast forward all the way to, to Luke Chapter 1, okay, all the way. Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. He was the spotless Son of God, the Lamb who was slain, dead and buried, and then God raised him from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of glory and sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. So therefore, if anyone who believes in Christ will experience eternal life, salvation in him for all this knowledge that has been given to us, we don't want to be ineffective with. Because we have been, we are going to be judged by the knowledge that was given to us. We know that to be true in our lives. Um, you, you, we, God, I, I'm not even going to go there. Time is short. Okay? Look at verse 17. You, therefore, beloved, knowing that knowing are going to arise and pervert and twist the scriptures, take care. That's the guarding language. Take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability. And remember the song we sang today? Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. What we want to do, we want to put our life on the rock of God's word. We don't want to lose our own stability and being tossed to and fro. We want to be solid. Well, how, do we, how are we solid? We are, are solid knowing that people are going to try to pervert the scriptures. So we take, take guard. We take care. We guard ourselves 
to make sure that we are not being drifted. We're not being pulled away. And so how do we guard ourselves? Well, we guard ourselves by, first of all, knowing the Bible. I think that the number one way we guard ourselves is being committed to a local church. I think that you are connected to one another. You are now responsible here to, to consider how you can spur one another on here to love and good works until the day comes. Okay? Not neglecting the meeting, as some are doing, but you are, are, are living to, for each other. So when someone doesn't come to our fellowship, what do we do? We want to pull them back in. Then people who don't come to church, people who are, are in our body, who are members of our church, who don't come, they may be okay. They may be fine with the Lord. But they're putting themselves in a dangerous position. You know? It's, it's, if you struggle with um, the potential of a heart attack, you probably shouldn't eat a ton of red meat. You know? You can eat a lot of red meat. You can, you can drink and you can smoke and not have a heart attack. We all know those people, right? And yet there's other people who, who go down that same road and they, they end up taking their... Their life is taken from them because of their health. I think it's the same way in the church. I think there's some people who walk away from this fellowship. I think they're in sin when they do. And they, they walk away, and, and they may be fine. They may continue to live for the Lord. But I don't think that's everybody. I don't think that's even most people. The number one way we do that is we link arms with one another. You know, I've heard some pastors call the church as an assurance of salvation cooperative. Right? We are all connecting to assure our salvation. Remember what he says in chapter 1? Be all the more diligent to confirm, confirm your calling and election. So people who, who, who don't who exit the body, they may be fine, but they shouldn't be okay with that. They shouldn't have any confidence that they're okay because they have left the fellowship. And if you leave the fellowship of the saints, how do you know that you are in the fellowship of the saints? You may be, but you should not have confidence that you are. That's why we link arms. This is why God gives elders to care for your souls. And we're, looking, we're going to look at this a lot on Wednesday night, but elders, not elder. Every church in the New Testament have multiple elders to care for a congregation. Why? Because how many people are in this room? Devin, do the math. 32, okay? Just kidding. Right, well, let's just say there's 30 people in this room, okay? I'm just, this is my ego. I'm trying to make sure that there's more people here than, than Devin said. Um, let's say there's 10 people in this room, okay? There needs to be more people caring for those souls than one. Because if, if I'm looking in this direction over here, I can't be looking in that direction. As one pastor, there's no way you do that. And God knows that. So God said we need elders, we need multiple men to shepherd and lead the congregation so we can all be looking in different directions. If you're going to look for wolves, and that's what Peter, Paul, Peter, uh, Paul says in, in, in um, Acts 20 to the Ephesian elders, he says there's going to be wolves that are going to spring up from among you who, who are going to pervert and twist the Scriptures, just like Peter's saying here. And he's saying, watch out for the flock. So if, I, if I'm here and I'm, I'm looking for the wolves that are going to come in and try to devour the people of God at Park Baptist Church, and I'm looking in this direction, and I can't see over here, what good is that? Now, your, your head's on a swivel as a single pastor, but we need multiple elders to look around for the, 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 the wolves in the fellowship, for the false professions of faith, those who may be weak and need encouragement to be strengthened. 
Those who just need help. You know, that's what God has done in his word. So the first one is guarding knowledge. The second one, which is the positive application, is the growing knowledge. Growing knowledge. Look at verse 18. So instead of negatively, guard yourself. Positively, it says this, verse 18. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sometimes when you when you look at the scripture, it sounds so harsh. Right? It sounds hard, and we have to like this exhortation. And listen, there are a lot of exhortations in the scriptures. But listen, we want to grow in grace. Think about how great grace is. We deserve hell because of our sin. We deserve the full force of God's wrath to fall upon us. And Jesus Christ stepped in and took it for us. His body was broken. Not because any of us deserved it. It was all grace. So when he says grow in grace, he says grow in your love and appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done for you. The Savior who was crushed for your iniquity. Who who purchased your salvation. It's one of the reasons why he tells us so often to take the Lord's Supper. Because at the Lord's Supper, we physically feast that his body was broken. We physically drink that his blood was spilled, the promise of the new covenant. And, and it reminds us that one day, one day, righteousness will, will, will envelop us. And we will live in the new heavens and the new earth where we will be his people and he will be our God. So after Peter does this whole exhortation, what does he end with? What else does he end with but a doxology? He gives God glory for everything. He says, to him, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and how we live our lives right now to give him glory and to the day of eternity. And he says, amen. Beloved, that's our life right there. We want to have God have all the glory, both now, tomorrow, the day after, all the way to the day of eternity when our Christ, our Savior, our King, our Lord, and our Master will descend and usher in the land where righteousness dwells. And as we look for that day, oh, beloved, be diligent. Be diligent. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would allow us to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To you be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity.